0: You know, have you ever heard of the word, um, I'm lost here, give me a second. I'm lost without my wife. I got elephants, yes I do. I've got 12 elephants. Well, God knows what we need before we ask. He is not like the evil genie who when the man asked him for a million bucks, he gave him a million ducks. When you ask God to take care of it, he will do so perfectly perfectly. And he will do so in His perfect timing. You may always count on God, for He never changes. Uh, Luke 11:11. 11, 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father, give the holy spirit to those who ask him god has not changed his promises have not changed god is immutable he never changes number 2319 god is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind he has said and will he not do it or has he spoken And will he not fulfill it? He is not like us. He does not plan a vacation that he will never take. He does not make an appointment that he will never keep. He does not start something that he will never finish. He never changes his mind. Never. He is immutable. But you may say, did he not change his mind when he told Hezekiah, it's an example. It's a good question. When, he, when he, Isaiah went to Hezekiah, he said, get your house in order. This sickness is unto death. You're going to die. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. And the Lord told Isaiah as he was leaving, he said, go back and tell Hezekiah I heard his prayer. I'm giving him 15 more years. No, it's not a good example. God never changes his mind. In 1 Kings, and I'm going to get around to it like a circle. I'm going to start at the beginning of the circle, at least what I see as the beginning. In 1 Kings 13, there is a man of God by the name of Ahijah. Ahijah is a prophet. And if you remember what happened in 1 Kings, this is way before. um, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the ten tribes split. Rehoboam is left with Judah and Benjamin. Jeroboam takes the ten tribes, and he cuts them off from Israel, and he has them worship two golden calves. Well, Ahijah, a man of God, a prophet of God, goes to the altar where Jeroboam is offering sacrifice to the idols. And Ahijah cries a prophecy, and he says, "'O altar, O altar,' thus says the Lord." Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and the human bones shall be burned on you. This prophecy took place roughly around 925 B.C. Hezekiah, Hezekiah's deathbed experience and his prayer in his sickbed was approximately 712 BC quite a quite a bit after quite a bit after the 925 BC prophecy and hezekiah the lord said i'm going to give you 15 more years what is so amazing about this is that in under hezekiah's what he sees what hezekiah sees he sees i've changed god's mind my prayer has changed god's mind no, it didn't, and this messed Hezekiah up, and you can get into that later. You can, look at, you can look at what Hezekiah did and what he did to the Babylonian emissaries and what evil that brought upon the, on the land, but he did not change God's mind. Uh, Hezekiah prayed for 15 more years, so Hezekiah lived 15 more years, but it says that when Hezekiah died, Manassas, his son, reigned. Manassas was 12 years old when Hezekiah died. So do the math. Manassas wasn't even a bun in the oven when Hezekiah prayed. He wasn't even a twinkle in his father's eye. There is no way around it. you got three years difference. No matter how you do the math, Manassas was born after Hezekiah's prayer. The Bible's clear on that. Well, Manassas reigns in Jerusalem for 55 years. Uh, He dies around the age of 77 in 640 BC. So in 640 BC, Amnon, his son, reigns in his place. Amnon reigns, and that's in 2 Kings 21, 18 through 19. And Amnon reigns in his place for two years. Well, when Amnon dies... Guess who's born? Josiah. The one who Ahijah prophesied so many years ago. Well, Josiah's born, or Josiah reigns when he he takes over when he's eight years old. Well, when when Josiah is about 21 years of age, Josiah, in 621 B.C., And I want to read this to you out of 2 Kings 23, verses 16 through 19. And Josiah turned. He saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed. That was Ahijah. Ahijah who had predicted these things, then said, what is that monument that I see? Ahijah had been buried there. Uh, that's another interesting story. I'm not going to go into that, but he sees where Ahijah is buried. And the many men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, this is Josiah, said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the other prophet that came out of Samaria. So 304 years later, after Ahijah's prophecy, Josiah fulfills this prophecy. Um, If Hezekiah wouldn't have lived 15 more years, uh, it doesn't appear that Josiah would have ever been born to Amnon or to Manassas. You know, his great-great-grandson would have never been born. So when God said he changed his mind, did he change his mind? Or did he not know that he was going to change his mind from the beginning? Um, when God... We we have a thing we call... Everybody does it. It's, it's called anthropomorphic speech. Has anybody heard... I, Anybody heard of that? Does everybody know what that is? That's when I I say things like, you know, my truck's not happy in the winter. You know, when I start giving my truck feelings. uh, When I say, uh, my grass looks sad. It does look a little sad. But grass doesn't have feelings. Whenever we put human qualities on inanimate objects, that's called being, that's anthropomorphic speech. When, whenever, we put human qualities on God. That's also a form of anthropomorphic speech. If you go to the, the ancients and you go to the Greeks, all their gods look like Greek. And if you go to Africa, all their gods look African. Okay, that's, that's anthropomorphism. That's anthropomorphic speech. But when God speaks to us, he also uses anthropomorphic speech. He'll tell us something about himself. It's always about himself. He'll tell us something about himself in human terms. So he'll describe himself in human terms. So maybe we get a little bit of the picture. I mean, can you imagine trying to explain to your dog special relativity? You know, the the dog's going to hear blah, 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 treat. <laughs> All right? You can't explain that to your dog. Well, we're like, you got to remember, we're like ants before God. Just little ants. You know, he loves us. He takes care of us. So when God's trying to explain to us something about him changing his mind, he really has you know, how do you explain it to ants that I've changed my mind, but I never changed my mind? I had planned to change my mind from the beginning. You know, I mean, it's, this is not a surprise to me. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is to come? My purpose shall stand and I will do all, all that I please. God is never surprised by anything. There is no surprises. Uh, you know, maybe another example would be good is God using anthropomorphic or anthropomorphism is in Genesis. God, this, is, this has to be, now maybe i got a warped sense of humor. And I know some of you know that I do. My wife knows that I do. It's got to be the funniest one-liner in the Bible. Your mother would appreciate this. Adam sent. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. They're, they're hiding behind a fig bush or something, whatever. And God says, Adam, where are you? Okay, realize you got two people in the, in the world, just two. They're in a walled garden, and God loses Adam. What would you want to put his face on a milk carton? You know, do we put posters up on the trees? Lost man. Answers to the name of man. Notable description. He has no belly button. I mean, how do you just? Dis- you know, but the funny thing is, Adam answers. He says, I'm here, I'm scared. Well, Adam knew God's voice, but he didn't know who God was. Because if he would have known who God was, he would have known God. You know every hair on the head, my head. You know my goings out, my coming in. You know every decision I'm going to make from this day forward. You know everything about me. So I know you're not looking for me. You know where I am. A.W. Pink writes, whatever the attributes of God were before the universe was called into existence, they are precisely the same now and remain so forever. The immutability of God, it's a 12-letter word, and if you ever want to spell it, it has two M's. I'll leave it at that. But it's, it is the one attribute of God that applies to all the other attributes. Every attribute of God is immutable. Jesus said, there are two great commandments in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He said this is the first and great commandment. Well, if you want to love God with your whole heart and your whole soul and your whole mind, you've got to know who God is. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to know about his attributes. The um, chief goal I know I'm missing something here so we're going to skip over it. The chief goal of Christians. This is also from from Pink. The chief goal of a Christian is to love God with our whole heart and to enjoy him forever. But how will we do this if we do not know what he is like? To fully love God in whatever ability we have, whatever capability we have, we have to know God. We have to know about him. We have to know what his character is, what his personality is. Um, We have to have a clear mental uh, apprehension of his perfections as revealed in the scriptures. We got to look at the scriptures. What do the scriptures say God is? Spurgeon writes of God In his sermon on the immutability of God, it has been said by some that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, The mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, this is important, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. The greatest attention as a child of God that we can give is in the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of our great God. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. And in those subjects, we feel kind of self content. We go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to the master science, the master science, knowing God, we find that our plumb line cannot sound its depths, and our eagle eye cannot see its height. We turn away with the thought, that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass, and with a solemn exclamation, we say, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. O oh, great God, how infinite thou art, and how worthless worms we are. So, uh, just a couple things. How does God describe his immutability in the scriptures? Uh, Deuteronomy, I'm going to go through these pretty quick. If you want to write them down, fine. Um, if not, that's fine too. Deuteronomy 32.4. God talks about himself. He's the rock. I mean, if, you, if you're going to describe something that's immutable and you're anthropomorphic, you know, you got this big hunk of granite. Guess what? Probably 7,000 years from now, it's probably going to look pretty much the same as it did 7,000 years earlier. You know, it's probably the closest thing we have in our world that just doesn't change. It's like big pieces of granite. The rock. It's perfect. What am I doing? Take another one? Okay. This is confusing, though. I don't like choices. All right. Okay. That good bill. All right. He is. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all of his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. James one seven. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm one nineteen eighty nine. Forever. O oh Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. For the Lord is and then Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to gener- all generations. Numbers 23:19. God is man, God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind he has said has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it first samuel 15:29 and also the glory of israel will not lie nor have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret hebrews 6:17 So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us. God wanted to make sure he was convincing us the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable characters of his purpose, because we change. And I think a lot of times we assume God changes. You know, it's like we think, oh, Lord, you saw what I did. I surprised you. You never. I don't know, man. I'm just shocked, too. Well, God's not shocked. Maybe we're shocked. God's not shocked. So God, when he desired to show us convincingly to the heirs of his promise, the unchangeable characters of his purpose, God guaranteed it with an oath. You know? I mean, all God had to tell Noah was, hey, Noah, it's not going to rain ever again like that to destroy the earth. Okay? But you know what? Noah doesn't know God real well. He doesn't know how unchangeable God is. So God says, oh, by the way, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. That way, every time you see the rainbow, it's going to be a reminder, I won't do this. You know what? If God says he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it. Job 23:13. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires to do, he does. Romans 11:29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. John 13 1. now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's us. He will love us to the end. When the trumpet calls and the dead in Christ rise first, he will love us to the end. Nothing will happen between point A and point B. That our heavenly Father doesn't know, it hasn't been planned. He hasn't given the providential. Uh, his providence has not Everything has been declared from end to the from the beginning to the end. It's a mystery, but it is true, and you can count on that. There are no surprises. This should give you great comfort, for God is not fickle. We are, but He is not. His love. His mercy, his compassion towards you may never change. They are still the same today as they always have been, and they will be the same tomorrow. Behold thy God, know thy God, love thy God. Here just, uh, I'm going to give you some of the attributes of God. This is definitely not a complete list, and I'm sure, Ron, I'm sure you can come up with about 20 more. But I'm gonna, I'm going to give you 20. Now, this first one here is his omnisapience. Now, when I looked up this one, it's really neat cuz it's not even in my spell checker. My computer had no idea what it was. So, I know it's I know it's important when my spell checker shows red, that's important. God is all-wise. He has the ability to devise perfect ends and achieve these ends by the most perfect means. His sovereignty, he is free to do all he pleases. He truly has free will. Holiness, he is sui generis. He is in a class of his own. He is morally perfect. He is set aside from all of creation. His omniscience, he possesses perfect knowledge. He has never learned One thing in his existence. He will never learn one thing in his existence. He is complete and he is perfect. His faithfulness, everything he has promised will come to pass. Everything. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is impassable. Probably you don't hear this one too much, but he is impassable. He is never overwhelmed by emotion. He is always under control. There are no holes in the walls of heaven that he has punched. You know, God, you know, I, I, I would imagine there were a lot of holes in my house. Um, now, as I was get, you know, uh, I learned that I had to replace them. So I'd always go for the stud. I, I know where the studs were. So it made a lot of noise, but I didn't have to fix it. it just hurt. But there are no holes in the walls of heaven. God has, even his wrath, when he he wakes up, so to speak, when the Bible says, I'm going to wake up as a drunken man and I'm just going to tear the place down, his wrath is perfect and under control. It's perfectly, he does exactly what he wants. He is not given to emotional outbursts. He's under control. He is infinite. He is not subject to any limitations. He's all-powerful. He governs everything in the universe, including the hearts of men. He is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He is self-existent. He needs nothing or no one. He depends on nothing except himself. He is self-sufficient. He needs no water, air, food, or money to survive. God is good. God is gracious. He is a giver. He loves to give. Um, Jonathan Edwards says about this, he says that for God needs nothing from us, for he is complete in himself and takes no pleasure in us, but yet he does take pleasure in us, for he takes pleasure in that what he does through us. God does take pleasure in us, he takes pleasure in that which his Holy Spirit does through us. And then he rewards us for that which he does through us. You're going to be rewarded in heaven for everything the Holy Spirit did in your life. Everything that God did through you, you're going to get rewarded for. Isn't that amazing that God is so giving? He just He's so generous. This is where, I don't know if you've ever heard Jonathan Edwards when he talks about the fountain, given to overflow. That came from the same book that God is like a fountain that just bubbles over. It just wants to give. It just wants to give. God is merciful. God is just. This is not a complete list. One other one too. I'm going to throw this one in. Um, Something to think about. It's, It's one you maybe most of you have never heard. God is simple. And it's called the simplicity of God. God is not the sum of his parts. He's not all, you take all of these attributes and you add them together, you have God. No, God is not the sum of his parts. He is of a single essence. Even the Trinity, the Trinity is of a single essence. It's all one essence. He is God. We're only describing God. When we go through these individual attributes, we're only describing bits and It's like what we see at the moment. We can only look at one section at a moment. We're only describing one section at a moment. God is very simple. He's unchanging, and he is of a single essence. God is immutable in all of these attributes. Every single one of these attributes have been, is now, and always will be. There is no entropy with God. God does not decay. God does not get weaker as he gets older. A hundred thousand thousand years from now, God will be the same as he was when he created the universe. He will be no different. So what can we say? And why the immutability gives you great comfort when you look at Romans 8:28. For we know for those who love God and are called For we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and, and what, what, what comes next, verse 32, is, is Paul alluding to the immutability of God in that we're given to think, okay, oh, that's fine. That's what God wanted to do, but then I did this. So now it's God who's going to be against me because I did this. But he says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Not God. It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Not Christ. It's Christ Jesus who died. More than that, he was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding before us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? We have a great comfort. God is immutable. That promise in Romans 8.28 is an immutable promise of God because God's character is immutable. Again, from Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change... Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Whenever you see therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. So what is it there for? I do not change. Because I think if God did change, we would be consumed. You know, I don't think there'd be any hope, but he does not change. Um, I want you to turn with me to... um, Psalm 136. Um, Yeah, Psalm 136. Um, I I imagine most of you, I I don't know what Bibles you have. I have the ESV. Um, We're going to do a responsorial Psalm on Psalm 136. And the responsorial in the ESV is, For his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, We're going to do this, and then uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close. We'll get you out of here early. But I want to say this. We're not early. Uh, I guess we had a lot of things to do today. But here was my goal. My goal was to get you out early. I didn't get it. I'm not God. I didn't get it. My goal was to get you out a little early. If you have time, stop at Wegmans. Stop at the grocery store do something. You got neighbors out there. You got the second commandment. The second commandment is love others as yourself. Stop somewhere, do something, pick something up, drop it at a neighbor's house. Don't drop anything at Terry's house. He's, he doesn't want contaminated, but <laughs> drop it at someone's house. Go. Even if you only say for five minutes, you bring them a watermelon. I don't care what you bring them. You just say, Hey, I just want to let you know I care. Here you go. You don't have to stay long. Just let someone know it matters. That's the second commandment. Um, A lot of times we get busy. We lose sight. We lose sight of everything. We're so busy. And we are busy. We we live in a very busy society. Um, Try not to be too busy. Try to do something today. Just something. Something little. Help someone out. Tell them you love them. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the god of gods for his steadfast love endures forever give thanks to the lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever to him alone who does great wonders for his love endures forever. to him who by understanding made the heavens for his love to him who spread out the earth above the waters To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over by day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Love, to him who divided the Red Sea For his love, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, For his love, it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. His love, to him has led his people through the wilderness. to him who struck down the great kings and killed the mighty kings, Shion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. His it is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. For his love Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thank you. I, you know what? The Lord only gave me a half a sermon, but it ended right, so we're okay. I guess he knows what's going on. I should read my sermon more often. Thank you, Lord. We, we thank you for this day. We ask you to go with us as we go. Give us the heart and desire to be your hands and feet upon this earth. Um, let us know the needs. Let us see the needs. Let us not be oblivious to what's around us. Let us see what's going on. May we enjoy each other's company. May we fellowship together today. And may we share with those the blessings that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.